Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Garfield Memorial Church, whether you're here in person or worshiping with us online, we're so glad we're gathered together in a place of um, saints and sinners. I always used to do that. I'd go to a new church and I'd say, hello, saints. And everybody'd say, oh, well, well, maybe this one agree more. Hello, sinners. <laughs> All right. That's about right for Garfield Memorial Church. Um, but I would always do that. And I'd say, it's good to know we're all here. We're all here. And we want you to be here. We want us to know that this is uh, perfect people aren't allowed. That's why we're connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness. We all have this flaw called sin and brokenness and falling short. But together, together, we seek to help us be stronger. I'm Chip Fried, lead teaching pastor. If I haven't met you, we're so glad to be together. So we're in a teaching series. We've talked about this called A Sight for Sore Eyes. Today's the last day of it. Next week, we're going to dig deeper into the kind of the the blueprints for, for what is the church. We've been disrupted so much in the last two and a half years. I said the message of God, the gospel, never changes. Methods always do. So we'll be in some new methodology as we're worshiping hybrid, in person, online, uh, regathering in groups, etc. But to go back to what the actual architectural blueprints are for what this idea God had for his church was, and we find that in Ephesians. But we started the church year off this fall um, with this series. Pastor Terry started on September 11th. And it's based on a healing story that's found only one place in the gospel. Terry dug deep on that. I've just referred to it each week. It's where Jesus healed a man who was blind. Now, there was nothing unique about that. The scripture said the Messiah will come and open the eyes of the blind. And in many situations, Jesus healed people who were blind and they regained their sight. What was interesting about this one was Jesus laid his hands on this man And then after he did it, he said, well, can you see? It was almost like Jesus said, did that work? Which catches our attention because like Jesus created the universe, right? Like the the Bible says that the whole universe holds together with a word of his power. So so is Jesus saying, look, I I got the constellations right. I got the Milky Way right. Did I get this right? That, That It just doesn't sound right. And so we know there's more going on. And a man said, well, I can kind of see, but I'm not seeing clearly. I see people, but they look like trees. And Jesus touches the man again. He receives his sight. So we know this can't be an accident. So what, what are we being taught here? We're being taught that all of us in our journey of faith, we need second touches and third touches and tenth touches. We need Jesus to touch us one more time. When we've been through disruption and turbulation, we we don't need an absentee landlord God. We need the God who became flesh and dwells amongst us and remains present with us through the power of his Holy Spirit and to touch us again and to give us new visions and new eyes to see. I hope you're like me. I've I've been around this sun 60 times and I'm still learning new things about God every day. 
new things about myself and about life. We need those second and third touches. And so our Vision 2020 team kind of laid out a roadmap for us. Um, in the midst of all that disruption, we're thinking about where we're headed as a Garfield Memorial Church. What's the uniqueness that God has created here and what is our mission and ministry to greater Cleveland and, and to the world? And, and we've been leaning in on that and every year is kind of like, okay, how are we living out this vision? And so meeting with that team in the spring and the summer, I really had three things that I felt God was giving me through that conversation for us to focus on this church year. And I've, I've spent the last two weeks preaching on the first two and this week to preach on the third one. But I want these to be kind of marching orders, if you will, for us as we're, we're continuing to try to lift this light and widen the circle and connect diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus, that these be kind of our marching orders this year. The first one I preached on two weeks ago was gathering community. It's time to get together in community. We've been so disconnected. And we've got a power in the earth that is trying to keep us disconnected, if you haven't noticed. And we need, we need to regain touch, and we need to reclaim one another. And we've said to you, if you're worshiping online, that's amazing, and we're so glad that technology permits us to be together this way in different ways. But how we all still, beyond the meeting on Sunday morning, whether in person or online, how are we building connections? How are we regathering in community? And so the second one was grow spiritually. We talked about that last week, gather in community, grow spiritually. And and we had a wonderful time of baptism that I'm, I, I love to go home wet from this church. It really is, it's like my favorite Sundays. It, it's amazing. And I, um, we, we talked about our need to not just, Jeremiah said, be a shrub in the desert, trying to get our nourishment from the soil with tiny little roots. So the only thing that helps us are little flash floods. But we need to dig down deep in our rootedness with God to be like a tree planted by the water. Today is the third one of these, gathering community, grow spiritually, and guard unity. That's, that's a hard one. That's, that's, it's so hard I can't even get on the screen. Um, but it's, it, 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 this is the, the, the last one that, that in the midst of, of, a, of a, a church that God brings together of diverse people, of different people, that there is a unity in Christ. And we need to, we need to guard that. We need to protect that. It's what the, what's trying to be ripped apart by the world right now. And we have a unique witness to say that in Jesus Christ, this kind of common unity I'm going to talk about, this, this stuff is possible. And, and, and to guard it and, and to preserve it. Um, it's what we really need. Philip Yancey is a Christian writer. Some of you know his books. And he just came to kind of a realization. Um, his realization was, I, I can't grow into the fullness of who I'm supposed to be if I'm always in sameness. If you live in sameness, eventually you'll live in a cult, right? And we need uh, to know the height and the breadth and the depth and the width, Paul says, of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We need to be in this kind of community. And, and uh, uh, that uh, Yancey wrote recently, he was in India and he was with an Indian pastor who had told him, he said, in India, he said, most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, those same things can happen in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my areas, it seems only the followers of Christ are striving, however ineptly we do it, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social group. And he said, that is the real miracle. And when that miracle happens, 
It's our call to guard it. And Yancey goes on to write, this is Philip Yancey, you know, grew up a Southern evangelical, grew up in church, has written massive books on the Christian life. And he wrote, when I walk into a new church, the more its members resemble each other and resemble me, the more uncomfortable I feel. What if we had that kind of holy discontent to be part of this new community that Jesus Christ is creating? And see, when Scott read those words to you, those are challenging words, right? Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, talking about loving our enemies, talking about, you know, deal with our own logs in our eyes before tearing out specks in other eyes, talking about um, if we come to church and we remember someone has something against us, that we should go fix that, get that right, and then come back, not alone, but together. Those challenging words. I, I was laughing at the first service. I said, you know, you, a lot of times you get Christians walking around with signs at demonstrations. Uh, you don't see a lot of signs from the Sermon on the Mount. Wouldn't it be cool to go to one of those demonstrations and, and somebody was holding a sign saying, how are we loving our neighbors today? I'm, how are we loving our enemies today? You never see that one, right? What if they're walking around with a sign and saying, hey, uh, do you have a log in your own eye? Or you're only concerned with the specks in others. Or, or, or walking around with a sign saying, hey, does anybody have something against you? Is there a brokenness in your life? Can we just get together and get that right? And then go to the altar together? But the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus' is teaching about what this new community is going to look like. See, I grew up, before I went off to seminary, before I read the uh, New Testament in its original Greek, I always read the Sermon on the Mount, kind of like the Proverbs. They're like, okay, this, do this one, do that one, Chip. How are you doing on this? How are you giving, not expecting anything in return? How are you turning the other cheek? How are you going the second mile? It wasn't until I got to seminary and I read the original Greek that I realized in the Greek language, they have a term for second person plural. And you've heard me made that joke a million times. Unless you're from Alabama or Mississippi in the English, you don't have that term for second person plural. That one never flies here. I don't know why it isn't. You know, y'all? Okay. So I'm being condescending. Is that what you're saying? All right. I get it. Yeah. My wife said I have a spiritual gift of irritation. So, you know, those who've hung around me. But in the Greek, it was you all. 65% of the time when Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He's speaking in second person plural. He's just not speaking to Chip. He's saying, this is the community that I'm seeking to build. This is the body that my gospel creates. And when you live in that kind of new community, this, 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 this unity and diversity and all these things, when you live in that, these are the ethics that are going to be in my community so that we can preserve what I'm calling this common unity. Now, I know I've probably seen it a million times, but I, it just jumped out on me, I guess, this week. You do realize that the word unity is in the word community, right? And so for whatever reason, God gave me this kind of term this week that our call is to build Christian, what I'm calling come unity. Christian come unity. And that C-O-M-M -M in that term uh, come, it comes from the Latin derivation where it literally means together. So we're creating unity together. This is our call. This is what Jesus instructs us to do. And, and when we look at the book of Ephesians, that may be the blueprints, but I think the foundational structure for this community is these principles that laid out, that Jesus laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. 
that we need to strive and seek for a common unity together. So what do I want to say about this community, this community, if you will? The first thing I want to say is we really need this new community. We really need this new community, this community, if you will. We're hungry for it, even though we act like we're not. There's so many times you'll see it emerging where, where the world we really all want is, the, is, this, is found in this new community that Jesus came to build. I mean, unfortunately, we see it the most during tragedies like we're experiencing right now uh, down in Florida and other places in response to a hurricane. I was listening to some of the first responders and some of our UMCOR workers who are down there, and I was listening to an admiral speak from the Coast Guard, and they say, here you have people, they're trapped alone, right? They're cut off. And then suddenly a, a Coast Guard diver or a, a first a, a responder uh, finds them, and there's a celebration, there's a homecoming. And people are glad to be, to be rescued. And what, what the admiral of the Coast Guard was saying, it's not just the people that are being rescued that are rejoicing. We're rejoicing because we need to be together. Now, guess what you're not thinking about when you're rescued in a hurricane? You're not worried about what somebody's cultural background is, what the color of their skin, or how they particularly voted in the last election. You're just glad to be together. Thank God we're together. And when I read that Coast Guard Admiral, what he said was, he said, there's such exhilaration in these moments of reunification that he said some of our Coast Guard divers, they end up friends with these families for years. And he talked about a 24-year-old that had, had rescued a family, uh, and he was a, a new immigrant to our country, and he was living down, I think, in El Paso, Texas, and the company was a highfalutin family up in Boston, Massachusetts, and they had him come to be with their daughter's wedding party because he had been part of the reunification and rescue of the family. And we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dive into the ocean of our world and of our lives to save us and to rescue us. How dare we not, as a family, come together? That's the unity that we need. Um, even, even the animal kingdom knows that. I read this crazy story. Um, there was a drug dealer that had these exotic animals. Sometimes they do that. And he had a, a three little cubs. He had a lion cub he named Leo, a tiger he named Shere Khan, and an American black bear he named Babu. This guy was watching too much Jungle Book. But anyhow, um, and, and he really neglected these animals. In fact, the strap he had on the bear, he didn't even take it off as it grew to adulthood, and it, it became grafted to his body. But these animals were rescued, and they were sent to Noah's Ark. I think that's interesting. Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary in Georgia. And they nursed all of these animals, now grown animals, back to health. And then what they did was they felt these are three kind of large predators. We'll put them in their own areas. And the animals are absolutely incorrigible. They were going crazy. So somebody had the idea, maybe they want to be together. So they put them all in the same place. And to this day, you see them out there eating cookies together, snuggling with one another. I know. That's why I had to tell it. <laughs> That's why you never kill animals in movies, right? It's like we can see 7,000 people get killed. Don't let the dog die. You know, I know. I get it. And, and they have to animate it if it does. But even the Bible says the heavens are telling the glories of God. And here's three members of the animal kingdom. They don't know they're not supposed to be together. But they walk together and they worship together and they live together and they just want to be together. 
And I'm going to tell you, that's the deep need in the, in the hungry heart. And Jesus, even in this Sermon on the Mount, do you know how he refers to us? What does he say? You know, um, if you come to the altar and there you remember what? Your sister, your brother has something against you. Do you know eight times in those passages Scott read, I don't know what it was, 10 or 11 verses, but eight times, Jesus said, when this stuff happens with your brother, with your sister, he uses the language of family. Family, right? Um, you know, how many of you have heard, you don't, you pick your friends, but you don't pick your family, right? And be honest, there's some people in your family you wouldn't have chosen, right? It's probably... Um, but we, we have voluntary relationships. Friendships are voluntary relationships. We choose our friends. Lovers and those who we may go to be our spies, we choose those. But family, you're just born into. If you have a father or a mother, right, you're in a family. Um, and, and you always say, people say, well, no, I was a self-made man. Really? Do you have a belly button? <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we're born into a family. We don't choose it. And that's why some of us have paid thousands of dollars because you have dad wounds or mom wounds or because maybe there's dysfunction because the truth is you can't choose your family. And, and however dysfunctional the relationship I may be, that's still my father, that's still my mother, that's still my brother, that's still my child. And Jesus said that is, is showing how badly you really need this, that when you come into a relationship with me, you come into a relationship with others. You come into a relationship with those who believe in me too. If you want a relationship with my father, who he called Abba, with your papa, he said, you don't come through me. You know, no one comes to the father safe through me. You don't come into a relationship with me as Jesus Christ, and suddenly you get God as a boss. He's not a boss where you have to perform, and if you don't produce, if you produce, you're okay. If you don't produce, you're fired. You don't come into that kind of conditional relationship. You come into a relationship with me through your true heavenly parent, through the, the creator who has designed you and uniquely and wonderfully made you, says Psalm 139. And with a papa, with an Abba, there's an unconditional relationship that's formed. Your family. And your family, not just with me, your family with one another. Look how serious Jesus is even on the cross. When he looks down and there's his, his friend John is one of his followers and there's there's his, his mother, you know, Mary, and she's overwhelmed with grief. And Jesus doesn't look down and say, John, this is really hard on my mom. W would you take her to a grief classes at First Presbyterian Pentecostal Methodist Church on Sunday evenings? He says, no, Juan, viva la mama. See your mother. Mother, see your son. You know, Family. There's an intensity in that. And in the old King James says, he said, behold your mother, right? Behold your son. That word behold in the Greek is the word idol. This is, what, this is what it means. Fix your eyes on one another. See each other with great attention. Observe each other with care. Sustain each other. Maintain each other. And keep each other from falling apart. That's the community, even on the cross. Even when Jesus is going to breathe his last, that he's seeking to create. It's the unconditional aspect of this family. And friends, we really need this. We're hungry for this. I preached a sermon one time at the cross that there are three groups of people that never get together anywhere else at the cross. The women, you know, lower class of that society, not allowed to be in leadership. The women are there at the cross. 
Roman Gentile pagans, a centurion is there at the cross, and Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea are there at the cross. And guess what? And these three groups of people that never get together are unified in saying, this is the Son of God. This is what we really need. You need this, friends. You need it. Um, I, I grew up reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you know those books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I really enjoyed them. And then when I became a man, I was reading it. I was actually in seminary studying theology. And I was reading it to my oldest daughter, Tiana. She was eight. And I got to that place, if you know anything about that, Aslan the lion, who's the Christ figure, right, in those stories that C.S. Lewis wrote. Aslan is resurrected from the dead, just like Jesus. And there's the two girls in the story. There's Susan and there's Lucy. And, you know, the four human children, uh, the two boys, the two girls. But Susan and Lucy are there weeping at the tomb, kind of like Mary Magdalene. But Aslan is raised from the dead. And I love what he writes. I'm just going to read it to you. And now, says Aslan, to business. He says, we have a long journey and you must ride on me. And he crouched down and the children climbed on his warm golden back. And Susan sat on first, holding tightly to his mane. And Lucy, Lucy sat behind, holding tightly to Susan. And with a great heave, he rose up beneath them and shot off faster than any horse could go. I had to be in seminary doing theological education to realize that C.S. Lewis, the writer of this, was giving us a picture of the post-resurrection church. Where Jesus is raised from the dead, Aslan the lion being Jesus is raised. And now he says, look, we have a mission to do together. We have work to do together. But very strategically, he says, Susan sat on first. Now, if you read the story and you know things about character development, right, in a novel or in a movie, there's a lot of character development in these two characters. Now, the movie cleaned it up a little bit. But if you read the book, Susan is the one who's never getting it. Susan is kind of obtuse. She doesn't have great spiritual vision. Sometimes she's really cruel to Lucy in a story, and she just doesn't seem to get it. Lucy is the dear heart. Lucy's the pure heart. Lucy's closer to Aslan than anyone else. Lucy always gets it. She always sees God at work and everything. But when Aslan says, get up on my back, Susan gets up first, and the only way that Lucy can hang on to Jesus is by hanging on to Susan. And I think that's really intentional. I think Aslan's saying, and Jesus has said to us, if you want to hold on to me, you have to hold on to Susan. You have to hold on to the weak one. You have to hold on to the one that sometimes doesn't get it. You have to hold on to the one that sometimes you don't like. And if you're going to be in my community and hold on to me, this is how you're going to have to do it, by holding on to each other together. Now, if anybody deserved to sit on Aslan and hold him by the name and say, I'm a spiritual entrepreneur and I got this thing all figured out, it was Lucy. Now, I've been in that situation. Just some confessional here. I, when I came, I was called to preach at a very young age, 13, 14 years old. And then when I was 17 years old, uh, very active in my church, and I took one of my friends, one of my teammates to church, and I got just torn up by church people, including my pastor, because I had the audacity to bring a friend of mine who was an African-American to church. And I was told in no uncertain words, don't ever do that again. By my pastor. And it left a wound in me, and I left that church that day at 17, swore I'd never go back 
They were all sexist, racist, didn't care about the poor, I'm done with them. I'll, me and Jesus got our own thing going, right? And I went off to college, and my chaplain really brought me to Christ. And, and I, I preached a couple times at University Church. And when I got back out, I, I, I did not trust the church. And I, I, you know, I, I fell far from Jesus again. And then in the way that only he does since Terry Walker, who is Terry Freed, into my life. You all know how that story went. You know, you're going to be with me, bro. You better be with him. <laughs> so I got back with Jesus real quick. But what I said was, I was saying to Jesus, Jesus, I love you. I want to be with you. Do I have to be with your folks? I mean, this is the way we can just do this thing. Like, I, I don't want to go do that. And they kept clearly calling me into ministry. I'm like, yeah, Lord, I want to be with you, but I don't want to be with them. They're going to hurt me. I'm going to pour out for them. And gosh, I've been in ministry 32 years. I've been stabbed in the back so many times. You're going to have a cutlery sale out of my back, Jack. And I told the Lord, hey, man, you know, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get feelings hurt. I'll be betrayed and all this stuff will happen. You know what he did? He said, yeah, come here, Chip. Thomas, <laughs> see my wounds. Put your hand on my finger in the hand on my side. He said, I poured out for the people and they threw a spear in my heart and laughed at me when I died. But I came back too. And I didn't make anybody grovel. I told them they were forgiven and let's go to the work of doing this community together. But I went in, I went to ministry, and I, my first church was an urban church, and my wife and I were there five years, and, and you know, um, a lot of pastors didn't want to deal with me because, you know, here we were, we were kind of this misfit church in the city, and, and so I got to be a maverick on my own, and, and we doing revivals with the youth and all that, and that was wonderful, but I was kind of their dad, I wasn't their peer, and then they made me a superintendent, and I had to oversee 80 churches for a better part of seven years, and guess what, when you have to oversee 80 churches, you don't have to join any of them. And then 18 years ago, as of this last Monday, I came here. 18 years ago. 18 years ago. That's over half Terry and I's marriage. We've lost all four of our parents since we've been here at this church. We re reunified with my daughter who was having a little coup d'etat down in Cincinnati. We reunified at this church. My, my children, my boys were raised at this church. Perry was married at this church. And I used to, when I was at my first church, go around with people. And you know what I'd say to them? Hey, you know, here we want to be in church. Non-church people don't think highly of the church. And they would always say to me, hey, well, I believe in God, but I don't need the church. And stupid me, wet behind the ears, would say, that's okay. The church sure needs you. I wish I could go back and tell all of them how sorry I am. I was so wrong. What I should have said to them, you really, really need the church. You really need this community. And I'm going to tell you, I've learned at this place, I need you all desperately. And in a weird way, you need me too. We need one other. We need to be in this community. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. We, we need this, this church. We need this togetherness. I love that, uh, that kind of what was expressed for us in the movie, Remember the Titans? See, there are some movies that if you don't see them, you can't get into heaven. That, you got, that's one. <laughs> like, if you, if you haven't seen Field of Dreams and Remember the Titans, come on now, there's going to be a quiz at the gate. 
And in that movie, if you remember, Denzel Washington is the coach, and there's these two high schools. True story, down south, came together. One was an all-black high school, one was an all-white high school, and a football team was a powerhouse, and they came together. But there was so much tension, and they didn't like each other, didn't want to be around each other. Denzel Washington takes them away to Gettysburg College to kind of have a team bonding moment, but that's not working because all the white players want to be together, all the black players want to be together. Denzel Washington said, this is insanity. You're going to room together. Your roommate is going to be somebody that's not of your culture, and you're going to get to know each other to the point that you have to get up and tell us the other person's story. It wasn't working. <laughs> the white players weren't blocking for the black players. The black players weren't passing to the white players, and it's a lot of hostility. And so Denzel Washington went rogue coach, and he's going to work until the wee hours of the morning. And then two players, Gary Bertier, a white All-American, uh, Julius Campbell. I hope you're taking notes. You're going to get a quiz on this. <laughs> No, I'm just telling you, if St. Peter goes, Gary Bertier, who is he? If you don't know he played left linebacker, you're just not getting in. So I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. My job is to prepare you. But Gary and Julius, two leaders, uh, get together. They, they hate each other. They don't want to be together. They fight. But they're like, hey, we got to get together. We got to do this thing. Or we're going to be dead up here. And what happened was they found out suddenly, in the spite of their difference, they needed each other. They couldn't be successful without each other. And so when they were able to put down their prejudices, you know what they found out? They really liked each other. And more than that, they really loved each other. And if you see the, the movie later on where Gary Bertier has gone through this terrible accident after district championship and he's paralyzed and he ended up being a wheelchair athlete the rest of his life. But he's in, in the hospital and he only wants to see Julius. And so Julius is, you know, he goes in to see his friend Gary, and Gary's laying there. If you've seen the movie, there's a white nurse, and she's like, oh, wait, you can't be here, family only. And Gary Bertier said, you don't see the family resemblance? <laughs> and Julius and Gary get together. It's a really emotional scene. They talk to each other, and, and then Gary finally says, in tears in his eyes, he said, I was afraid of you, Julius. I was afraid of you. But I only realized I was hating my brother. And he put up his hand, and that's what Jesus said he came and bled and died for. That's the church he came to build. And that's the church we need. We really desperately need this, right? These are your brothers, your sisters. And you can't hang on to Jesus if you don't hang on to Susan. And it's not always easy, and it can be messy. And maybe in the course of being brothers and sisters, you can grow to be friends. And that's what we should work for. So there's, there's a need for this community, and I'm running out of time, but there's also a real intensity in this kind of community. Do you see what Jesus says in that verse? So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, notice it doesn't say if you remember you have something against them. That's something against you. And then the action words start. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go. Be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. What, what, what Jesus is saying, okay, they have something against you. You may have nothing against them. You may have not even done anything against them. Now, logic says if somebody has something against you, isn't it their responsibility to come talk to you? I would say yes, Right? And I don't know, why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they coming and talking directly to you? Maybe they're a coward. Maybe they're overly sensitive. Maybe they're overly resentful. And you know what Jesus said? I don't care what the situation is. I am holding you personally accountable to hold together the common unity. 
and to be about restoring relationships and broken relationships together. I love what Hebrews 3.13 says. It says, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When people were broken in relationship with other people in the Bible, you know what they were said to have? A hardness of heart. Pharaoh oppressed the people. Why? Because of the hardness of heart. And when Jesus was with his disciples and they were going across the Sea of Galilee and they were beginning to argue with each other because they only had one loaf of bread and they didn't know if that would make it across a three-hour trip. And Jesus goes, were you guys with me when we fed 5,000 with five loaves? Yeah, we were there. How much did we take up after 12 baskets? Were you there when we fed the 4,000? Like, but you're worried if we're going to make it across with one loaf of bread? And then, you know, he said to them, are your hearts growing hard? See, what, what the scripture is telling us is sin is like cold air and our hearts are like a bucket of water. And I've gone a lot of fishing and camping and things like that. And when you, when you go up there, you've got to make sure your water doesn't freeze up. So you're always breaking it up early if you see it kind of forming in those bottles. Because if you neglect to do that, one day you're going to be thirsty. And there's not like hoses up in the Northwest Territories, right? You're going to be thirsty or you're going to need to wash. And, and your bottle's going to be frozen solid. You've got to preserve your, your water source. And what, what the scripture is reminding us is that all of us, our hearts can get a little frozen. They can start to get hard through pride, through suffering, through grief. And we need people in our lives to encourage one another. To encourage each other. You know what that means? They come into our lives and kind of break that layer of ice off the top and say, hey, Chip, are you getting a little proud? Uh, Chip, are you, I, I know you've gone through some hurt recently, and, and are, are, you getting, are you getting bitter? Are you getting, we need to do this, but you can only do it in a community together and stay unified in our love for one another. Do you, have you given people a green light in your life to blow the whistle on you? See, I have people say to me all the time, yeah, I've got two or three people like this, and we've all had good friends through the years. I, one of my best friends, we grew up together. In fact, he was that 17-year-old I took to church, <laughs> and he and I have been best friends for a long time. He lives in Austin, Texas. You know, we're mobile in the United States, aren't we? So I say, yeah, you've got people that have that permission in your life. Are any of them nearby? Because if they're not, you need to find some. You need to make some, Right? I have wonderful friends in this church. I've had friends that come and go in this church. You know, Cleveland, sometimes you'll have people for five years and then they're off to Chicago or down to Atlanta. And I know it's tremendously hard to do the work to make friends together, but it's important work. And it's the only way that we can build not just superficial fellowship. I love seeing everybody on Sunday morning. I love giving hugs and high fives and all of that, but that's not enough. And friends, if you're worshiping with us online and this is the only time we're together or we're in person, it's the only time we're together. This is why we're working so hard to say we want fine places to gather. And if you're online and you're by yourself, see, Jesus didn't want us to be by yourself. And what he said, when you come to the altar and you notice that somebody's not there, go get them and come back together because you're better together. So if, you're, if you have that, please uh, email Kurt or hit him in the direct message him or, you know, Kurt at GarfieldChurch.org, info at GarfieldChurch.org. Say, I need to make some connections. Can you help me do that? Because we need this. So I'm going to encourage you, go to our connect table again today. Gather during the week. Gather in microchurches. Gather in prayer. Gather to serve. Find some ways to be together. Now, my group is by far the best. It starts this Tuesday at 6.30. Um, anyhow, yeah. 
I've just destroyed everything I said in my sermon. (laughs) Who's going to break the pride in my heart right now? Would you come up and do that? But we we want us together, okay, friends? Um, Boy, I got got more to say, but I'm out of time. Let me say this to you. Here's what, I'm just going to leave you with a little little ditty. We need what I'm going to call fires and meals and chairs. Oh, my. (laughs) Right? I told you a story about a lion, a tiger, and bear. I mean, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, everybody together. Fires and meals and chairs, oh my. Where did I get that? I got that from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which has really helped a lot of people come to Christ. It started as radio um, uh, spots and then became book. But what Lewis said is his job in that book was just to get you out in the hallway of Christianity. He wanted you to just give Jesus a chance. And if he could get you in the hallway, what he said, in that hallway there are many doors. And those doors go into different rooms, and they go into different churches, and you need to go in those rooms somewhere, because in those rooms are fires and meals and chairs. And if you stay in the hallway, you're never going to grow. But if you get into those rooms, he said you'll get into some rooms, and one might be a Baptist room, one a Methodist room, and one a charismatic room, and one a non-denom room, which is a different denomination. It's called congregationalism, and their denomination means we're not a denomination. But they're all denominations. They're all different groups. And you're going to go in, guess what? There's some in that, something in there that you probably is not going to like that much, and there may be some people you're a little uncomfortable with, but you can't hold on to Jesus if you don't hold on to Susan. And we need this. We're desperate for this. And we need to, to hold it together. Oh, man. Let me just leave, read our last scripture to you. I'm sorry. I'm four minutes past my time. Let me um, say to you, Paul, who used to be Saul the Pharisee, right? Saul was, he was as much against this common unity as anybody could ever be as a Pharisee. He was a racist. He was a misogynist. He was a Jewish nationalist. It was his way of the highway. And if you disagreed with him, he wanted you killed. But Jesus came to him. <laughs> And said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, Saul the Pharisee said, I don't even know who you are. How am I persecuting you? He said, when you persecute my brothers and my sisters, you're persecuting me. And he brought Saul in to become one of the greatest ambassadors for the gospel. And, and Paul gave his life to creating unity, to bringing Jews and Gentiles together, historic enemies. This is what he lived for, and it's what he died for. So if you grew up like I grew up, and people say, well, Paul died because he preached Jesus. That's not true. Read Acts chapter 22. Paul preached Jesus at his last defense, and everybody was listening, but it gets to chapter Acts 22, verse 22. It says, when Paul says, and now Jews and Gentiles need to come together, it said at that point they listened to him up to that point, but at that point they said this person is not fit for the earth and he must die. He lost his life because of bringing people together. And at the end of his life, he wrote to his son Timothy, and I just want to leave us with this today. He wrote these words, Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. It's hard work getting diverse people together. It's hard work guarding unity, but it's worth it. Join me in this, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not just according to our works, not to our tastes, our agendas, our preferences, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and has now been revealed through the coming of Jesus Christ. Next slide. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed 
for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted in them, hold to the standard of the sound teaching that you've heard from me, what these authorities are killing me for, but what Jesus Christ came into the world for was to bring us together, and this is what we need to do, and we need to fight for it, and we need to strive for it. Somebody said to me recently, one of our leaders, I just turned 60, and he's a little older than me, and we were together, and we were laughing, he said, you know, you and me are not the future of Garfield Memorial Church. You know, I said to him, you know that's true, but I said, I believe the future of Garfield Memorial Church is a future worth fighting for, and as long as I'm here in the present, I'm going to fight with every fiber of my being to be a church on earth as it is in heaven. This is the sound teaching you receive from me, says Paul. Now all of us together, guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Friends, that's our call. That's our plan. That's what we need to do. And join one with another at that. Thank you for a few extra minutes. I'm sorry to burden you in the time. Let's, uh, Pastor Terry's going to come and call us to the table together today. And when you come to the table, and you can come, uh, we're doing intention today. We're doing it in a safe way to hand a part of the bread. If you're not comfortable with that, we still have our uh, little communion cups. If you don't want to come forward, if you just raise your hand, an usher will bring one of those to you. If you do want to come forward, uh, come forward. But when you come forward today, our house of prayers prepared something for you. There's a little packet in it. It's a little communion cup. These are cut from the olive wood in Jerusalem. When people have traveled with us to Israel, um, we've had communions out of these kind of cups. We want you to remember that common cup that Jesus came into the world. Take that with you today and take a prayer, a guarding unity prayer that's been created for us. That for 40 days, I want people in the church with your cup, with, with this little prayer. Uh, House of Prayer will be praying this, but they don't pray for us, they lead us in it that for the next 40 days, you might just lift up this prayer in your small group, in your microchurch, in your personal devotions, that we might guard the good treasure that's been given to us through Christ Jesus, which is the gift of one another and of his church, and guard that, guard that, and live and die for that. Will you come to the table as Pastor Terry leads you?